He is, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, having a great time in Texas with his daughter. He will be back midweek, so he'll be back next week. Uh, but we will uh, muddle through together today. And we're going to do um, uh, a different kind of text than I think you guys are, are used to. At least, we're, So we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of Judges. Yeah, who said wow? That's exactly right. Wow. Judges. So that's where we're going to be. Um, and as you're turning there... Uh, we're going to be looking at what might feel like a somewhat obscure passage in Judges. Um, but Judges is the book that I am walking through with the youth on Sunday mornings. Um, and so, and, and we're trying to live by uh, Romans 15.4, which says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so that text includes a text like, or a book like Judges, and so... This morning, uh, Lord willing, we're going to do the, the hard work of deciphering how does a text like this give us hope, how does it encourage us, and what can we, we gain from it. So as we get started, Paul, would you open us in prayer this morning? Father God, we, uh, we just praise you for the awesome God that you are. We thank you for this time together that we can um, study your word. We pray that you would be with us here as we um, have a conversation about judges we just pray that you would be here, be with Brett today as he delivers the message. We pray all things your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to turn to Judges chapter 9, Judges chapter 9. So to give you just a brief overview of what where we're at in Judges. So the book of Judges is, is a, a book compiled of the time directly after um, the the taking the conquest of the the promised land through the book of Joshua. So I think the last time we were together and I was with you, we were just finishing Joshua. So you can tell by my logic with the youth, we just started in Joshua and then just kept going. So that's why we're in Judges. Um, but we've looked at some Judges already. Uh, we've looked at about six of them. The last one, the one in, in chapter 6 through uh, eight is the, one of the more famous ones, Gideon. And so we just wrapped up looking at Gideon's life and what he had done. If you're in chapter 9, if you want to look back at chapter 8, verse 29, we get kind of this, this hinge between Gideon and Abimelech, uh, which is the next, well, not judge, he's a king, but we'll get to that. Um, but we see kind of what, what's happening here. So if someone would be so kind as to read 29 through the end of the chapter, so Judges 8, 29 to 35, that would be, thank, I would be grateful. failed to show gratitude to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, but 
Thank you. So yes, the reason why Mark had to read it is because there are a lot of towns and names and that is part of the fun of the Old Testament. But, so we see a couple of things about Gideon, Jerubbabel, same guy. Um, so it would seem that he, uh, he, he returned home, which just means after he had completed all of his, his acts of service as a judge, he was home. But he did some precarious things, right? He, uh, he had 70 sons, he had many wives, he had uh, uh, a concubine, which is like a wife, but not really, um, who lives in Shechem. And this, this wife in Shechem, or concubine in Shechem, bears this son named Abimelech, which matters because that's going to be the subject of chapter 9. Um, so we see some, it's curious. So if you think about your, your knowledge of the Old Testament, and you think about people that had many wives and many sons uh, in the Old Testament, what, what role did they have? What, what were they in? You know, if, you, if you hear, if somebody had a lot of king, or I just said it, kings, there you go. Nailed it. Sometimes you let me talk long enough, I'll just give you the answer. But yeah, so it sounds like kingship, right? So, so um, Gideon is a judge, and he is, um, which is not a king, it's a, it's a regional ruler. Um, and he did some suspect things. Um, he built uh, a, an ephod, which was like a priestly garment that was right before in chapter 8. And so we don't want to spend all the time talking about Gideon. We actually want to look at Abimelech. But some of this matters because it, it kind of sets up the nation for failure. They, they ask him to be king. He says, no, 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 I don't want to be a king. I just want to be a judge. But then he does kingly things, like having um, a lot of wives and 70 sons. Uh, and and he, so he, he generates a lot of offspring like a king would. Um, Abimelech actually means my father is king, I think, in Hebrew. So that's kind of odd. <laughs> I mean, for a guy that said he didn't want to be a judge and he names his son by concubine, you know, my father is king. Um, so that's kind of suspect or at least confusing. And what ends up happening is Abimelech kind of just runs with it. So in verse 35 through 33 through 35, we see that Gideon dies, and Israel um, turns away from God to Baal, which is a very common theme. Um, basically, the theme of Judges is uh, a judge delivers the people. The people follow God for as long as the judge is around. The judge dies. They kind of march themselves off into apostasy again, and then they they get usually they get taken by uh, you know the Midianites or the whatever, the, the nations that are around them, and then they, they, they're, they're afflicted, then they cry out to God, God raises up a judge, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, this is the story of Judges. What's unique about Judges 9 is uh, instead of there being an enemy from without, there's an, an enemy from within. This is the first time in the book of Judges that the person that rises up to oppress and do the things to the people of Israel is someone who is from Israel. So it's getting worse. So think of it like, like the, the, the ball is unraveling. The ball of yarn is getting less and less dense as we go. The years in between struggle and peace are getting less. The, the trials are longer. So it, it's just it's deteriorating. And from, from basically chapter 9 to the end of Judges, it's just going to get worse. So how did it get bad here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at chapter Nine. Would someone be so kind as to read one, two, and three to start? Now 
Abimelech the son of Jeroboam went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Thank you. So, what is Abimelech's argument to the people of Shechem as to why he should lead? Yeah, he's family, good, very good. What else? He's one and there's 70. Right, right. It's a really, it's a really compelling argument, isn't it? It's, well, I, why 70 when you can have one? Just one guy. Well, let's see how that goes. Would someone read three through six, please? And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. Their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows and followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Thank you. Okay, so just pointing out some things as we go. One, um, they agreed to it, right? Their hearts were inclined to it. What do they give him as a yes, please do it? Someone said it, I heard it. 70 shekels. Yeah, they gave him money from where? Yeah, okay, so that's not great, right? So, so the question you would ask is, so how tied to uh, false gods is Shechem? I'd say pretty tied. I mean, the coffers at the, uh, the house of Baal are doing all right. They can spare 70 pieces of shekel, you know, 70 shekels of what, pieces of shekels of pieces of silver, whatever you call it. Money. And then who, what does Abimelech do with that money? Hired worthless and reckless fellows. Because that's who you want following your new king, right? I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, I remember, I don't know medieval history very well, but like the Knights of the Round Table, that's what they were described as, right? No, right? Not, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Not what you want following around your quote-unquote king. And then he goes, um, you know, to his father's house, and he, not only does he say, I don't want these 70 people ruling over you, he doesn't want these 70, 70 men to live, and so he kills his 70 siblings, which is outrageous. But that's how we're starting, okay? It only gets worse from here. But there's this one son, this one brother, depending on your, your perspective. He, is, um, he gets away, he's, he's, he hides, and he is good. And um, he's going to be showing up here in just a second. But I also want, to, want you to note at the end of verse 6, it says that um, the leaders of Shechem came together at all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Now, I don't expect you to remember what that is, but I will at least ask, does anybody know why that piece is added? Or why that would matter? 
I will tell you, because I didn't know either. But someone, someone told me, and I'm a couple days ahead of you. So the, the oak of the pillar of Shechem is, is a place where both Jacob and Joshua met. So if you want to turn back to Joshua chapter 24, verse uh, 26. I can just read it to you, but it says, uh, Joshua 24, 26 says, And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And then if you were to look back in uh, verse 1 of 24, he's in Shechem. So where Jacob finalizes the rewriting of the law, and, and you, so remember, you guys all know Joshua 24, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like that stump speech happens at the stump that is now where we're sitting in the story of Judges. It's also where um, Jacob in, in Genesis 35, God speaks to him there. So, and there's also, it's probably also the place where God gives the, the covenant to Abraham back in Genesis 12. So it has a long history of being reminding, of, of, of a monument to remind the people of God's faithfulness. And now what we're seeing is it's there that those people make Abimelech king. So that that, so, so the people that know geography or, or would have heard judges in their day, they would have said, this is an abomination. Like, this is the opposite of what that monument is meant to remind us. So everything is going crazy. The leadership is wrong. They've got a king. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. And then uh, verse 7, we see that Jotham, who is the, 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 the lone remaining uh, you know, son of Gideon, stands up and starts speaking horticulturally. Would someone be so kind as to read 7 through 15? And let's look at trees together. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint the king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over these trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the, over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Thank you. Okay, so reading something like that is probably giving you big, I, this is also why I don't understand the prophet's vibes. And I get that, but to keep it simple, just remember that those who write the Old Testament and those who write things like this, they're trying to make a point. They're trying to use the things around them, right? So they're just trying to, in a colorful way, explain the situation. So it would seem that we have trees couple different trees that have been asked to do a job and then a certain type of bush that, that said they would do it. So if you're just thinking, if you're thinking about what we've seen thus far, 
how can we fill out the role of who some of these players are? So we might not know who the trees are, but we can probably guess who the bramble is. Does anybody want to take a stab at who the bramble is? Yes, very good. Very good. The other trees um, could have been maybe, because we didn't read it together, I'll just, I mean, it could have been Gideon, if you remember, Gideon was asked, be my, you know, be a king over us, and he said no. So he was, so the analogy would be, he is this tree that is producing fruit, right? This olive tree is producing, you know, good fruit, good, good, you know, it's a healthy, good tree. And we asked that tree to, to rain, to, to give us shade. That tree said, no, I don't want to. But now we got this bramble bush that says, yeah, I'll give you shade. <laughs> yeah, I'm great. Not great, right? Not, so he's, he's painting a word picture as to say, we've asked better men to do this job. And this guy was more, this guy came and took it and he doesn't really seem like a, uh, a, 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 a tree that's producing fruit, but he definitely seems like uh, a bramble or a thorn, but you know what, it's something just nasty, like no benefit at all. And then he even says there at the end of verse 15, um, take refuge in my shade, but if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon, which is probably just uh, a picture of the, the people of, of Israel. So he's saying, if you chose this king, this bramble to lead, um, it, if it's not God's will, if it's not the right fit, it's going to be of destruction. So that's, we want to keep going to see if that's how that worked out. Now, 16 through 21 is um, basically the, uh, the, his explaining the parable. So I'll, I'll just pick that up there, 16. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel at his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative, if you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fires come out from the leaders of Shechem from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. So like... I heard it said this week, um, like all good preachers, he drops the bomb and bails out. So um, he lets it rain, and then he gets out the door, <laughs> which who can blame him? You know, he's, he's a wanted man. But I kind of sandbagged you a little bit, right? Because if you would have kept reading, you would have kind of understood more of what that parable was about. But, but what is it that, generally speaking, that Abimelech is telling the people of Shechem? <laughs> yes, that's probably just, that's good enough. You're going to be sorry. Now, before we, we go on, here's the question that I have for you about this text. Remember, we're thinking about Romans 15.4, how these texts are meant to give us hope and encourage us and to, to teach us something that they're applicable to our lives today. My question to you is this, how important is good leadership amongst God's people today? Essentially, why does this matter to us?
Yeah. Be careful who you choose as a leader because it has consequences. True. True. <coughs> Does the Bible have anything to say about being a leader? Maybe a Bible study question. Should we be drawing from this text that question? I think it's a good question because I, you know, it, you know we see that today, we've seen it all throughout history where there have been men who rise up and convince people to go in a direction that may sound good at the beginning, but in the end is deceptive. And so it is important that we have discernment and that we look um, not just on the outside appearances, you know, that, that God would have us look at, at the heart and integrity of a man before, instead of just the outside appearance. Mm -hmm. Where, where it gets a little more, more dicey in my mind is because Israel is unique in that they are both uh, God's chosen people, but they're also a nation. So, um, you know, I don't know what, how far I want to press this idea of, of leadership um, outside of the church or outside of God's people, but I think as a general principle, um, bad leadership of nations also is not good, right? I mean... And, 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 and though uh, we know better or we have a lot of history of such horrific leaders, horrific leaders still find themselves in leadership, both inside the church and outside. So um, it's just very interesting. And, and, you know, the other question we have is, where is God in all of this? Well, we're going to see. So let's go on. Would someone please read verses 22 through 25? Thank you. So we're three years in now. It looks like things are starting to unravel, yes? So who is, um, wh who is robbing people? What group of people is robbing? Citizens of Shechem. Citizens of Shechem, right. The same people that propped up Abimelech are now Doing that. And, and what is the, the spiritual reason? What's the reason that's happening? Thanks. God sent the spirit? Yes. So God has now intervened in the life of Israel to start down this path of, as we see, as it says here, that they're going, that, that the judgment is coming on Abimelech for his actions. 
So God was not, is not silent and is not uh, indifferent to what's going on in Israel, is he? He's moving now towards action. And not that he wasn't acting before, but he's acted in a definitive way to do this. Now, what's interesting to me about this story in the book of just in general, is that God is a very good story writer. <laughs> like as you read this story, it it's a, it's a really interesting story. Like if, if it wasn't scripture, it would still be something like I would watch just to see how just the rise of evil and then evil being overcome. And But it's also a, a really uh, avant-garde piece because there's no real like hero in that like everybody's hands are dirty in this thing. And so God is just moving through sinful people um, Get, and, and bringing, to, ba bringing to, to bear everyone's decisions, but he does it in just such a unique way. So though we don't relish in any sort of judgment, right? This what we're about to see is the judgment of Abimelech, and it's not going to go well for him. We don't want to sit here and, and glorify, say, oh, we're glad he got his. I mean, that's maybe not where we want to land, but it is, is an interesting story nonetheless. Because, because more characters get involved. Look at verse 26. Um, and Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered grapes from their vineyard and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. So they're in there talking trash, right? They're, they're drinking wine, having a, having a feast, and they're just they're running their mouth against Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Who are we, Shechem? We should serve him, should we? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? Is he not? Is not Zebul his officer? Serve the man of Hamor, the father of Shechem. By why? But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So, what is he doing? He's trying to wind up Shechem, right? And, and he says in there, uh, the men of Hamor, why should we serve him? So, so what he's saying is, hey, before you all got here, um, Hamor was what ran this town, and I'm from him. So he's basically, it's like a turf war. He's saying, you guys, you guys, Abimelech, he has parents that grew up here. I got parents that grew up here. My parents are better than your parents. Listen to me. So, and he's just running his mouth. And it just, it's almost comical what happens next. Look at verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly. So, he's unconvinced, right? He's unconvinced that this is, this is his guy. He's still Abimelech's right-hand man. So, he, he lets Abimelech know, what does he say? Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Verse 33. In the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early, rush into the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds you. So he sends the message saying, hey, these guys are stirring up insurrection. Um, you need to get over here with your people and handle this thing. So what happens? Would someone... Uh, 
pick up verse 34 through uh, 38. 34 through 38. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night, took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gael, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance to the city gate, just as Abimelech and his soldiers came out from their hiding place. When Gael saw them, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebel replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. One more? Uh, no, I'll stop there for a second. Because uh, I think it's... So, what is, what is Zebel? So, what do you make of this? Well, let me say it like this. Gael and Zebel, it seems like Gael thinks that Zebel's on his side, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like he's looking at him and he's saying, hey, do you see what I see? Like, it seems like there's, there's people out there. And Zebel says, no, those are, just, those are just shadows. Get, get your eyes checked, bro. Like, maybe the prescription's a little off. I don't see anything. Is that how you take that? That's exactly how I take it. Because look at, oh. read 37 and 38. Well, not the, the, the prescription thing. I, don't, I think that was more me. No, no, I mean, because I always thought Zabal was, like, intentionally deceiving Gaul. Yeah, I think, he, I think Zabal is intentionally. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. So 37 and 38, if someone would pick that up, that would be great. Gal Gale, Gale, whoever spoke against Whatever. Just say it how you want to say it. It's no big deal. He said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. How? He had to practice in front of a mirror, that guy. I mean, he had to be ready to just issue that just scathing Ah, joke's on you, guy. You think you're so tough, you're running your mouth, and guess what? They're here. Oh, it's just, it's just wild. I mean, and so he's like, hey, good luck. Um, this is who you said you wanted to fight. They're here. And so then verse 39 says, And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. Many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived in Aruma and Zub. Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. So this guy who comes in as, again, another lowjack savior of Shechem gets rousted in a night, and he's gone, right? He's, he says he's got, he's got the juice to get it done, and he's out the door. But, you know, what, what just goes to show how horrific um, Abimelech is, is starting in verse 42. So, so the threat has been neutralized, right? The, the, the person that, that wound up Shechem is gone. All of his relatives, they're gone. Verse 42. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told this. So they're, essentially, they're going like, back to life as usual. We're going back to normal. We're going out to the fields. We're going to work. He, that is Abimelech, took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all day. He captured the city and killed all the people who were in it 
and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. So he, haul, he, he goes on, so beyond just the relatives and the people that were running their mouth and trying to take, he now comes to the same town that propped him up as king. It says, all of you are done. And he runs them all out. He destroys Shechem. Shechem is, I, I don't want to be too firm on this, but is probably where um, the tabernacle is. Maybe. We don't know that it's moved, but it was there when Joshua was there. So it's, it's a somewhat prominent city. It's important. Look at verse 46. When all the leaders of the tower of when all of the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El Barith. So meaning they all they went into the tower of Shechem, the, the la, kind of the last place you go to protect yourself in the city, right? They're all in there. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went to the went up to Mount Zalmon, he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and stood and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to these men who were with him, Do as I have. Verse 49. So every one of the people cut down his bundle, followed Abimelech, put into the stronghold, and set the stronghold on fire. And so all the people in the Tower of Shechem also died, around a thousand men and women. So he cut, so, so what does that sound like? Bundles of brushwood and fire, what does that sound like? It sounds like the prophecy, doesn't it? Out of the bramble will come fire and the destruction of the people. The prophecy that Jotham gave that is coming true. So what are we learning? We're learning that the prophecy said that, that if, if he's a good king, it'll go well. If it's not, fire will come from him and devour, uh, devour the people of Shechem. Check. That happened. So then the question is, what happens to Abimelech? Well, Abimelech, deciding that this went so well... Uh, decides to continue his hit, his hit campaign, and he goes to, verse 50 says, to Thebes, and encamped against Thebes to capture it, which is roughly, depending on where you put Shechem, it's probably about 10 miles away. It's a day's walk, probably. So he's basically going to the next town over. What does he do in verse 51? But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and the women and the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up onto the roof of the tower. So same thing, right? Shechem, they went to their tower, that, that was their demise. So obviously Abimelech is thinking, well, it works so well in Shechem. Let's go to Thebes. Let's do it there. And then verse 52, Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near the door of the towers to burn it with fire. Again, it's the same plan. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he quickly called to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young, I heard someone laughing. What are you laughing about? <laughs> and his young man thrust him through and he died. So how does it end for Abimelech? He take, okay, I'll tell you. He takes a stone in the head. Who dropped it? A woman. Now, if, you're, if, you're, if you know judges, what does that remind you of? Cicero. Yeah. Have there been any other women that have stopped bad people in judges? Yeah, yeah in jail or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The tent peg through the head. Yeah, yeah. This is the second time that. And then what's what's fascinating about this one is what's the name of this woman? Well, it doesn't say, right? It's a certain woman. So again, so so God intervenes in a way that uh, is is similar but different to another way a a a leader who is trying to destroy God's people, 
But we see that Abimelech is, is stopped, he is killed. And look at verse 55, and when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. So again, it's over. He's dead. Everyone's like, okay, drop the swords. We're just, we're just going to call it. And they just they walk off. Thus God, it was verse 55, I'm sorry, 56 and 57 give us the, the, the theological underpinnings of the whole deal. 55, or 56, excuse me. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the end of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham and the son, the son of Jerubbabel. So we see that God intervened both through a prophet telling them what was going to happen, and then God bringing that to pass through his, his sovereign leading and dealings of all people. So that's the whole story of Abimelech. Now the question we have to ask is, why are we studying it? Why didn't we just skip it and get to Samson? Everybody loves Samson. Like, why, why spend a whole, a whole hour? And did it give me heartburn to do this? Yes, it did, because I, I know this isn't a typical text we look at. But again, if the scripture, if, if Romans 15 says that all scriptures can give us hope, it can give us comfort, it can, it can instruct us, how can we draw from this text something that we can take about the character of God or, or how, how he deals with man? What can we take from a text like this? to give us encouragement for the week. And I'll give you, uh, I'll give you three that I came up with, and then if, if anybody has any other ones, I want to hear them. But the three I have are this. Well, they're really, we'll just say two, because the first one doesn't really count. Uh, God destroys the destroyers of his people. Mm -hmm. And two, God never abandons his people to ruin. Hmm. And I think what gives us hope is that the people that God saved were sinners too. God's salvation comes to people with mixed motives, wandering hearts, sinful eyes. And God, God could have allowed, I mean, again, remember, the, 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 the Baal worshiping was thriving in Shechem mm -hmm. to the point where they could take lots of money and prop up a king. So these, these were not devoted Yahwehites at all. They loved their foreign gods. And by rights, God could have allowed this Abimelech to, to wreak havoc through all 12 tribes, all the entire nation, and just say, I'm done with your unfaithfulness. I'm letting you go. But how good of a message is it that God doesn't let us go as sinners? So the story of Judges is one of hope in that God... Um, moves through real human history and does real human things for people and he, he preserves and cares for his people. It doesn't always look like what we might think. The trials and difficulties might be greater than we think. I'm sure no, no Yahweh devoted, devoted Jew wanted to experience this kind of death and destruction. We don't always want to deal with the things that, that come into our lives as well. But, but our faithful God moves in his great and perfect timing to preserve his people and to do justice and to do right and to care for those who committed themselves to him. And so in that, we can, we can take a lot of hope in knowing that though kingdoms uh, rise every day and, and kings rise every day, leaders rise every day, both in the church and out, that their whole goal is for destruction of God's people. But God will not allow it. God will not allow his name to be defamed forever. Right. 
and God will not allow his people to experience anything other than his grace and his, his mercy. Now, it doesn't mean that he'll save us from death. It doesn't mean he won't save us from trial, but, but he will preserve us how he sees fit. And he will always keep his people safe in this life of Christ. So that's what I, those are my takeaways from Abimelech. Does anybody have anything else that they might have seen or saw? I forget which way you say that. <laughs> seen? Have seen? Yeah. You saw? Yeah, Gary. <laughs> um, so in BSF or in Habakkuk, so Habakkuk 2-3, mm -hmm. um, it's talking about you know, what God had said in the past, and it says, It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. So God's working, and we can trust that he's working, even though sometimes it seems like he's not. That's good. No, I always think of, and there's several psalms that say it, but one of them in particular is like, evil will slay the wicked and the righteous something, something. It's like, you know, he did it with Babylon, then he uses wicked people to destroy other wicked people to bless or free his people. Yeah, which is basically what the book of Habakkuk is about. Was that saying right. back there? Yeah. I was just thinking of the big picture of the failure of all these types of shadows of a rescuer that the men, that the people would choose um, that God was so patient and kind to you know, watch the people choose these um, rulers, judges, kings who would ultimately fail, but that you know he would bring a true rescuer and king, and through his faithfulness save his people. Mm -hmm. And he, here's another picture of a failure ruler. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. My quiet time this morning. I was in uh, Psalms 130. Verse 5 it starts, it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning, indeed more than the watchman in the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from their iniquities. Similar to Gary's vein, what Gary said, you know, Israel took their eyes off the Lord, who was not their hope. His word was not their hope. Just an encouragement for us to keep our eyes on him and hope in him. And when we do that, when evil men are raised up, we're going to know them for who they are. It's good. It's good. What else? Any other thoughts? we got a minute or two. 47 says, The nobles of the people have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham, mm. or the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. It's great. It's, uh, what is it, Proverbs 20? The, hand, the heart of the king. Mm. God, God shapes the heart of the hand, channels it like water. Something like that. You guys know. Someone here knows. Someone's like, ah. So you don't ever try to remember one of your memory verses in public. It just never goes well. And in Daniel 2, it says he raises up kings and mm -hmm. poses them. Right. So nothing is outside of the sovereignty. Right. 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 
And remember, God made promises, right? God said he would, he, that from the nation of Israel, you would be blessed. And we know that, that, that ultimately, you know, Galatians tells us that that, that that offspring, the one offspring, is Jesus Christ. So God's honor, God's, God's promises, and God's Savior are on the line every time a judge comes through. So what makes the book of Esther so compelling mm. is that is that God is he has said that every you know Haman has said that every single Jew in all of the land of Babylon which was everywhere was going to be killed. God's promise is on the line there. If God does not intervene, there is no Messiah because there is, there are no more Jews. So every time in the book of Judges or anywhere we see that God's the reason why God saves is not because the people were so faithful or so good. It's because he is good, and he is faithful, and he makes promises to people like us. So we can trust that though everything is burning down around us, and all the people have run away, and no one is following the Lord, it would seem, God says, I am faithful to my promises. That's the God that we, we serve. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about that. The anointed him at the Oak of Shechem, yeah. trying to, like, confer some sort of divine authority onto him, maybe force God's hand, that you actually picked him, God. You didn't know it, but we did it here <laughs> to kind of show you yeah. or to kind of give him a veneer of this is God's plan, mm -hmm. and it wasn't. Right. And that we can kind of do the same thing, kind of try and force God into our plans and mm -hmm. say... I'm doing this for you, God, and, it, and it's not. Yeah. Look at how much we pulled out of an obscure chapter in the book of Judges. <laughs> Who knew we'd be so edified today? Probably shouldn't murder your brothers. Probably. Yeah, also, probably you another good life lesson, don't murder your brothers. Thank you for that one. I, I didn't know. It didn't need to be said. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, you're reminding us of, sometimes you, you don't see the stuff that's right in front of your face. That's helpful, too. <laughs> True. Don't do it. Okay. Well, let's 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 close there, and then we will uh, we'll break for for service. So, uh, who makes eye contact with me? Russ, would you close us in prayer? Thanks, Russ. Father, we do thank you for uh, your faithfulness in our lives. Uh, you are faithful day after day after day, and uh, we are. We are unfaithful, so we thank, for, thank you for your, your goodness, and thank you for your word that teaches and instructs and uh, brings life to us. And uh, Father, as we go into worship service, uh, speak through Brett today, uh, give him your words to say, and God, open our ears to what you would have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen.